Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Unfounded Podcast. We really wanted to do a series on COVID and everything that it's taught us. And of course, like there's no end to that, right? So hopefully this is going to be an ongoing series. But first of all, today's episode is about misinformation and about how we are so thoroughly surrounded by misinformation and different types of misinformation but particularly about how detrimental it is when it comes to something like COVID because then it's about people's health and people's lives. So Ashraf and I, Ashraf who of course is a part of our wonderful research team and I spoke about this topic. Hopefully we said some things that reflected the way you guys also might feel about this topic and hopefully we add a little bit more information to what you guys already know about this topic as well. So we had a really good time recording and I hope you guys have a really great time listening. Okay, that's enough from me. Here it is. Today we're joined by Ashraf. Hello Ashraf. Hello. Um, so today's the first episode of our COVID series. We're going to be doing these over the next couple of months and we wanted to do it because COVID has taught us so many things in the past two years and we really just wanted to kind of discuss the broad range of things that it's made us aware of. Um, the first topic today is misinformation. We thought that we'd, this would be an interesting topic because it relates to people on a very intimate level. Um, everyone scrolls through Instagram, everyone scrolls, scrolls through social media, sorry, and we thought that since everyone kind of experiences it, it would be a good topic to start off with. So I think the first thing I'd want to talk about is mis- dis- the difference between misinformation and disinformation. Ashraf, do you know the difference between misinformation and disinformation? Well, I, I think I do, and hopefully I'm a reputable enough source in light of our podcast today. But as I understand it, you can differentiate between disinformation, which is where the propagator or the person who spreads the information intentionally does so when they know it's false or misleading or deceptive. Whereas misinformation is the spread of information where the person doesn't have that intention and it's quite innocent in the way they spread that information around. Yeah, um, I, that's, that's the only difference. So disinformation is just intent to deceive, whereas misinformation is just like, they don't know that they're wrong, they're just spitting out stuff. Um, and I think it's important to make this dis- dis- this distinction when we talk about this topic because there is a lot of stuff on social media I think that people firmly believe, but obviously them believing it doesn't make it true and therefore them perpetuating it as though it's true also doesn't make it true. But that's not to say that they mean for you to... They mean to deceive you. Um, I yeah, think we... And I think... Mm-hmm. I was going to jump in and say, I think we may allude to this a little bit later, but... There's a lot of people out there who would be labeled as anti-vaxxers or people who are anti-maskers. And I'm sure a lot of those people don't intentionally think that they're spreading misinformation, uh, false information about vaccines. They genuinely believe that there is something wrong out there with them. And so try to spread that kind of information. Yeah. And actually, that kind of brings us to talk about the types of inf- misinformation there can be, because we had a discussion about it when we were talking about this topic and we realized that at the outset, instantly you kind of think about only one type of misinformation, which is just false information. But there are a lot of different types of misinformation. And one example before I kind of like break down the categories is this sense of 
an anti-vaxxer, for example, could be misinformed about the statistics relating to how often a vaccination can have a negative impact on a person and how that might outweigh the benefits or the disadvantages of a vaccination. Um, that kind of thing can also be misinformation as, as opposed to blatantly being false. So, so the first example is just false information. And I think this is really interesting because it's always crafted in some sort of way that's believable enough. It's not always just like obviously false. It's based on some sort of truth so that people believe it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's always that good quote out there about how, you know, every lie is kind of based on some kind of truth in there just to get people hooked on. Otherwise, you don't draw in the audience enough. Um, and I think you're, you're quite right there to describe it as enough. You just need enough to get them to believe. And once you've gotten them at that point, you can do whatever you like from there. Yeah. And like, even like, even if you just like think about it, you know, when sometimes you don't necessarily believe something, but even just being suspicious is enough. And I think that's what gets to a lot of people when they are so anxious, especially about something like COVID. Um, the next yeah. thing is when people cherry pick in order to mischaracterize facts. And I found a really good example of this on the internet. It was the first one when I searched it up and that was like politicians and about how they only talk about the successful aspects of their campaign as opposed to talking about their failures when they are, um, sorry, they're, what's the word? When they're running? No, when they're actually in... in when the they're campaigning? Seat. No, no, that's afterwards. What's it? When they are the politician, when they are a member of parliament. When they're in power when they're okay when they're in power um yeah so like when they mischaracterize how what how successful they were when they're campaigning because that's what's suited to them they cherry pick the the successful campaigns as opposed to the unsuccessful ones which like makes sense in terms of strategy but it is misinforming people about how effective their actual power like it was when they were powerful when they were powerful when they were in power when they're in power yeah yeah and I think this kind of category, you can kind of, the line between misinformation and disinformation is quite hazy because to some degree, if you're propagating information that's cherry picked and you intentionally cherry pick, what kind of purpose do you do the cherry picking for? Do you do it to further your own campaign? Do you do it so that you can, you know, for some other nefarious purpose? So, you know, there's a lot of haziness that goes around, even though we've differentiated the two. And even though we're talking about these categories, they can all sort of... Line drawing is quite hard here, I think. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I think it is important to kind of identify here, which we might have forgotten or like not identified explicitly earlier, which is that misinformation can be both. So misinformation is an umbrella term for intention to deceive or no intention to deceive. And disinformation sits under a specific intention to deceive. So this is definitely one of those cases where cherry picking falls under the category of disinformation specific. That's really, really good, actually, um, particularly in the case of politicians. Um, the next one it applies to anyone, really, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, I just meant that they can be deceiving. <laughs> no. yeah, so don't we know all about that? Yeah. And what we will talk about today in the podcast. Um, the next one is kind of leaving out context. Uh, and I thought, I'm not sure if this is spicy or not, but I was kind of thinking about like defunding the police and how immediately, I think it is a bit, what's the word I'm looking for? It does misdirect the audience when you just say defund the police. Like it is out of context because 
people can easily be like, oh, like you're taking out police support from in areas that are like extremely high crime and that really need it. And it makes it sound like a really bad idea when in actuality, that funding, defunding the police is being replaced with funding for, you know, community, community rehabilitation programs. And so without that context, it makes it sound like a really terrible decision. But with that context, it makes it a lot more holistic. Um, and obviously, you know, with people's intentions, they will give one piece of information as opposed to the other, which is of, which is highly problematic. Yeah, on the defund the police example, there, in terms of thinking about context, it's also important to think about, um, I suppose, um, like who is sort of, quote, in control of the narrative there, because those who were propagating the idea of defund the police, of course they were explaining, we don't mean, you know, we're going to completely take out the police at one go, we're sort of ensuring that we're going to replace it with something better. But a lot of people, when they hear that, they obviously think something different, and then this is sort of aligning with, I suppose, the biases we're talking about later, when other people sort of go and couldn't hijack the particular line and say, oh no, they mean this is like you know, left-wing socialist politics all over and sort of drawing up the fears of people who, generally people in Western countries who think that view, <laughs> um, and changing the way that um, context is used by the other side, I think is interesting to think about too. Yeah, I think also what kind of that brings to mind is this sense of like our social media, each individual social media is an echo chamber of their beliefs. And so wherever the narrative begins, by the time it gets to you, it has been transformed in a way that is most suited to your beliefs. So whether it came from a place that did manage to deliver all the context, by the time that it gets to one person who is against defunding the police, it will be portrayed to them in that way, um, which is also really interesting and kind of just makes you aware of how problematic the internet can be because of the way the algorithms work which is, you know, I guess a part of that misinformation um, conversation as well. Uh, the last one is that we came up with. I feel confident that there are probably di more different types of misinformation, so I want to put that on the table. But the last one that we kind of thought of was real, real ratio versus depicted ratio. So the idea that, like, the media often depicts research regarding climate change specifically as though in the scientific community there's, like, a... 50-50 of 50% people, 50% of scientists don't support climate change and 50% do, when in reality, um, and obviously I don't know what the actual statistics are, it's a lot closer to like 90, 99 to 1%. Um, and that in itself is also misinforming people because especially when it is coming from scientists and from supposedly a reliable community, when you make it sound as though it's 50-50, that makes people question a lot more than when you tell people and are honest to people that it's 99 to 1%. Um, yeah, no particular yeah. thoughts on that at the moment. Yeah, no, I think that's just how it is. And it's, a bit, it's I feel like the only thing that I would add to that is that when you're looking for information about a particular topic, you obviously want to go to people who know most about it, right? And when that is misrepresented to you, it can put you in a very difficult position because that's the only place you know to look and you are misguided. So that's really, that's really scary because if not there, then where is the question I would ask myself? Like, okay, like if I can't go to a media outlet that is supposed to kind of summarize what the scientific community's beliefs are, ideally I wouldn't go to a media outlet, but I don't have the intelligence to like decipher, you know, 
thousands of papers on it. So if I go to that source and that's misinforming me, what's my next step is that's the most confronting thing for me personally. And I don't think that there's an answer to that, um, especially when it comes to climate change, which is such a kind of polarized, oddly polarized topic. Yeah, and I think what undercuts a lot of these information, dis- misinformation categories is this question of trust and your or an individual's relationship with the source of information and where it's coming from. Um, so, and particularly how that information is communicated. So for example, as you, Mega, perhaps rightly or wrongly, you have a very strong trust in scientific institutions, but in terms of accessing that information, that could get miscommunicated to you, that could be misrepresented. And so in, in some part, you lose your trust, not necessarily in, I suppose, the inst- or maybe in some part you've lost your trust in the institution because of the way the information is communicated to you. And I feel like during the pandemic, maybe it's more so in the United States where there was so much going on, um, that was very much the case where you had scientists and the government coming out with one particular message. But then there was so many different conflicting messages and there was miscommunications that lots of people started distrusting what they originally thought were very trustworthy institutions. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, and I, sorry, one last thing that I would want to add as well. I think there's another filter on top of that, which is how you personally perceive it. Even if, even if, and this is obviously a little bit straying from misinformation in specific, but I think it's important to discuss here anyway. Even if information is conveyed to you factually, when it is concerning areas that you don't necessarily understand or are not your expertise or are discussed in a very complex way, the way you perceive it yourself is also going to be potentially incorrect. Everything given to you could be absolutely on point, but because you are limited in your understanding of the subject, you're also limited to be able to perceive that information correctly. And I think that very real and unavoidable aspect of things complicates misinformation in such a convoluted way that is so much more difficult to then address as well. Because once I've misunderstood it, I'm going to talk to you about it, then you might misunderstand it as well, and so on and so forth. Um, anyway, I think we have a basic idea of what how misinformation presents itself, but we kind of wanted to talk about how and where it originates. Um, Ashraf, would you like to talk about that? Like the origins of misinformation. Like I do. Like I think in our research we sort of discovered or maybe appreciated that misinformation and what we would characterize as fake news has been around for millennia it's been around since the beginning of when humans were talking to each other perhaps Um, it's just that quite recently in our time period we've given it a name and it has a particular flavor and a particular meaning to it and i think many people now would anchor it in the period where donald trump sort of appeared and started I suppose, for lack of a better word, hijacking the way that traditional information was given to the public when it came to their elections and they came to generally believing their government and that kind of thing. And the way that he co-opted the term fake news as to mean something he didn't like or maybe not necessarily agreed with, but at the same time was still believed as truth by many of the people who trusted him as being an alternative sort of source of information and source of uh, 
news in the world, I suppose. Yeah, I feel like the whole case of Donald Trump is just so confusing because there are so many aspects to it. Like, the whole thing where he started saying it for things that he doesn't like or, you know, doesn't agree with, but also perpetuating fake news regularly because he himself didn't actually clarify whether things were true. He just went ahead and said things. Um, So he had a really complex relationship with fake news, but it definitely brought it into the forefront of discussion. I remember there was a sudden spike and everyone was like, oh, fake news. And it was a whole big thing. And the way it's transformed now into misinformation, which we talk about a lot, like, yes, I knew both of these things existed, but I didn't actually... Till we spoke about this topic, I didn't make the ex- explicit mental connection that fake news and, and misinformation were directly correlated, if not the same thing, which I also thought mm. was really interesting. Um, it, it is, it's weird because it made that like because it was Trump and because it was about the United States, it made it clear how much of a large impact fake news or misinformation can actually have, like the power of this misinformation. Um, you could say because for so there's a there's a there's a statistic here that four percent of President Barack Obama's two thousand and twelve supporters were dissuaded from voting for Clinton in twenty sixteen by belief in fake news stories. Now four percent sounds like not a lot, but when you think about the fact that America has over a hundred million people, you kind of gauge how large of an impact that is. And when you also think about the fact that not all Americans vote. That is not a, that is not a compulsory voting country, compulsorily voting country, which means that even few is that a word? Is compulsorily a word? I don't know. Sure. Surely sure. we'll pretend it's a word for this podcast. Surely the spreading misinformation. Oh god! Misinformation? No. Know. Oh, it's okay. It's definitely Look misinformation. Done. <laughs> I've been saying this word all the time. Okay, <laughs> it's fine. We'll search it up at the end. Um. Yeah, so when you think about the fact that not everyone votes, that makes up an even greater proportion of people who are having an impact on these elections, which is crazy. Um, But funnily enough, um, we saw this other article that kind of spoke about the confirmation bias, and it makes you think about how many of these people that are being persuaded by misinformation are being so because it's actually confirming what they wanted to confirm. So let's take, you know, anti-maskers and like anti-vaxxers or whatever like if they want to believe that this isn't going to be useful and some small dodgy random website is like yeah vaccines suck then they're more likely to believe it because that is what they inherently and already want to believe Hmm. That that is quite interesting and i think it's interesting how nowadays even the term fake news is being used by when I, when I refer to traditional institutions, I mean like the government, uh, courts, uh, members of parliament, or members of a legislative body, and not just in the United States, but also right across the world. Like very recently, places in, for example, um, China recently, when they have their press conferences and they get asked by journalists about X, Y, and Z, they use the term in English, fake news, to describe what's going on. And the fact that it's sort of now being used by others around the world and not just you know popular people but also by institutions is quite interesting to see that it's sort of started off as this you know how you know most people believe that little trump would never be president and that he 
everything he's saying is could be disbelieved very easily but then he sort of comes around and sort of brings this whole new wave of thinking about information that's sort of changed how we do things today but i also like when you were talking about it, it kind of made me think that whether it's given these organizations an easy escape of just being like that's fake news and kind of like getting away with it without needing to elaborate more because i think um and so when i studied and you know we kind of spoke about this with benjamin newell that's the class that's the course i learned this in when we spoke about kind of tackling misinformation an important aspect of that one of the aspects you can do that with is by giving what the correct information is in response so not only addressing the misinformation identifying that it's false but also in return giving what the truth is and i feel like if people are just out here being like no that's fake news or like that's misinformation but not actually giving what the correct alternative is then I don't understand how that's helping whatsoever. Because if until you identify what the alternative is, people have nothing else to believe, right? So this sense of like fake news, in especially when it comes to authorities using it, I think is highly, highly detrimental because it gives them a free escape when they shouldn't have one. Mm, that's a good point. I quite like that way that you phrased it, the free escape. It's a get out of not jail, but um, it's a card that they can play that just makes everything go away. Which in, su- which in some part, I suppose, is... Yeah, it's just made it easier for them. Hmm. I feel a little bit more disgruntled now than I did before. <laughs> um, I think this kind of also just brings us down to why we wanted to talk about misinformation here. Now that we've spoken about how much of a terrible impact it can have and how just inherent it is in people's day-to-day language, not just when it comes to individuals, but when it comes to authorities, right? Everyone feels like they can just throw around fake news, misinformation, like it means nothing, but it still continues to have a very inherent and innate impact on people's lives. And the most avid and terrifying example is people believing in all of these anti-vax and anti-mask conspiracies. We wanted to talk about this because we're like, yeah, misinformation always existed, but now it exists enough to like threaten people's lives. Like when it comes to COVID, it's literally hurting people. It's has the capacity to now lead to deaths, which is scary as hell. Am I allowed to say health? I'm allowed to say health. I think it's curated enough. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, what, how do you kind of feel about this? Such a, I guess this extent of impact it can have so what i'm trying to say is it's one thing to persuade voters sure that's still horrifying and really scary and definitely shouldn't be a thing but it's another thing to persuade people from not taking their vaccinations or not wearing masks to the point where you know deaths are on the rise i'm not sure if covid i suppose i suppose covid um exacerbated or exemplified underlying trust issues that we already had for a very long time. I mean, there's always been distrust about vaccines. And I always keep going back to the US, but I'm going to go back to the US. But in the early 1900s, late 1800s, when um, there's an outbreak of, I can't remember which disease it was, but there's a vaccine available. And this is like early days of, you know, vaccinations. And it was big public distrust and, you know, about this particular thing that you were being given and you know your body's being jabbed and you're being given basically the disease or whatever it was that they were being told 
And so eventually they made it mandatory to take vaccines and, you know, lots of people were grumbling about that. But, um, you know, they, there's, there's always been that around. I suppose what COVID has done is that it's come at a time where social media has a part to play in amplifying those particular um, cons- underlying concerns. Um, for example, oh, uh, I was going to say that because there's so much information out there now that trying to sift through that information, you're going to rely on your biases. And if you have a bias that's going to be distrusting of authority, if you're distrusting of science in general, if you're trusting of your friends too much without questioning the kind of sources of their information, then you're going to fall back on those biases and you know, you're going to feed perhaps your own belief in the conspiracy behind particular things. Yeah, yeah, that is so... Again, it's just so detrimental because I think it does go back to that whole sense of the echo chamber that we keep talking about over and over again and it's so difficult to escape. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also, what I was going to say, sorry, when you were talking as well, is that it amplifies voices who are prepared to voice their opinions. And I know that's a really like convoluted way of saying it, but it's just like when people, when there are a few people who feel strongly enough and they make the choice of saying so, they can make themselves heard on the internet. And that power that they possess now, I think, is what causes that kind of immediate and very intense spread of misinformation. Because anyone can make make themselves look authoritative on the internet. Do you know what I mean? Like, just like give yourself a little verified tick. And for some reason, like the randomest people, I don't know these people, I've never seen these people, but they have that verified tick. And immediately I'm like, oh, is this somebody I should know about? Like, just... My mind just goes there because I've been trained to think that if they have a tick next to them, then they might be somebody who's, you know, a little bit more popular or a little bit more worth knowing than somebody who doesn't, which absolutely makes no sense, but that's just the way the internet makes you think. And so it's this sense of no one needs to have any qualifications. If they are confident enough, if they pose themselves as though they know what they're talking about, people will believe them because people believe what they want to believe. And I think that's definitely the scariest aspect of things that people want to believe this and it definitely highlights just how much mis no distrust oh miss this distrust there is in the government because like no one is prepared to believe that they're doing the right thing and unfortunately given recent events they are not doing the right thing so I don't blame people for questioning this authority when the authority has failed them over and over again Sorry, I'm also getting disgruntled now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I suppose we all are, particularly here when, very briefly, where we are right now, where all of the problems that we're having at the moment in terms of the COVID resurgence were, in my view, totally foreseeable. And you place your trust in the government to ensure that what was foreseeable would be mitigated as much as possible. But... um. Yeah, but obviously that you know then that could flow some kind of distrust, which may in turn foster bigger distrust in the ability for institutions to do their job. So, Mega, I'm here to keep you in check and to reassure you that there are lots of good people out there who are trying to do their best. Yes, no, I, I, as much as I struggle to believe that every now and then, I don't think I have much of an option. But 
I definitely think, and this will kind of cross over nicely to the last thing that we were going to talk about anyway, this also involves, I think, being politically savvy in some sense. Like, knowing this, this kind of questioning authority is a very natural emotion that we experience. I think it's a very innate in human nature. So like, fair enough. But being confused about when to question authority and when to not is extremely like obvious but also then being confused about which resources to trust and which which resources you can not trust on the internet is also then a very innate like sense of confusion and very obvious sense of confusion and that's what we were talking about and this kind of weird importance that in being internet savvy has wait no now being internet savvy has become like weirdly important and Ashraf what were you saying about how we used to find information oh so before we were having this podcast I was telling my colleagues here about how textual textual literacy has sort of shifted over time whereas in the past the question was about finding information and there were kind of more limited sources of information so you know if you wanted to look at something you go to your library or you wait for the six o'clock news or you'd go read for the morning paper you know those were your kind of traditional media sources and generally speaking up until a point people trusted those institutions but then as we sort of move into the internet age and we sort of start seeing an enormous dissemination of information um, there's just so much information that the challenge now is not so much you know it is to a point about where to find information but sort of how to process that information how to sift through that information and here like your one's textual literacy skills are very very important being able to think about the source of where something is coming from thinking about the particular lens that an article writer is writing with and being able to identify all of those things but that takes time and in an age where we have what's called an attention economy so where we sort of treat I mean, this is, you know, this is kind of what all the ads we're seeing and all of the posts that we're seeing on our social media are like. They recognize that we have very short attention spans because there's so much to digest. And so the things that we see are the things that we are biased towards and the things that we like and enjoy. And so, you know, we're obviously less likely to even use our literacy skills to process that information. And I think also another interesting that kind of just occurred to me is that we decide when we're being literate sometimes so i certainly do you know sometimes i'm scrolling and it's mindless it's 100 percent mindless and what whereas when i'm looking you know through the internet to like research for my uni essay i'm paying attention to what resources are good and bad and whatever but that's not that part of my brain isn't always switched on 100 percent of the time sometimes it's not switched on because i don't want it to be and other times it's not because my brain doesn't know that it's meant to be so I feel like in that sense, you don't realize that every single time that you're digesting information, you need to be switched on about that. And I think even thinking about that, even the idea that every single time I'm on social media, I have to be switched on to make sure that I'm not digesting information or perceiving information the wrong way is a stressful thought. Like, yes, naturally, I'm like, nah, that doesn't make any sense. That's not true. And like other times I'm like, oh, interesting. But I don't know how accurate that is. I'm not always I'm not always going onto their Instagram page and checking whether, you know, how legitimate they are because I don't think that I have to. And so that's a very 
accessible that not accessible but i think that's a very natural response to something like social media which you're not meant to think that much about but you have to now because whether you want or not subconsciously it's it is hitting somewhere in your brain and it is staying there and it has obviously for a lot of people because i doubt that a lot of newspaper websites newspaper website news websites <laughs> are spreading misinformation which is where you kind of have that literacy turned switch turned on does that make sense yeah i suppose it does and you know all of this is amplified through covid and we're still living through it and we're still i guess learning through it but you know sort of trying to link everything together when you know covid first started well first started when it sort of was emerging in the world and everything there was so much out there about like where it could have come from what the kind of symptoms there were had yeah like how do you like how do you even treat it like and then we had Donald Trump or you just swallow detergents and everything's okay right and then people people did that people believed that right because it was like yeah you can you can sort of see what happened when he made that comment um, but yeah people actually were digesting detergent and largely because like it was emerging right and there was so much information out there that there's just so much you know people doing so many different things but even two years after that there's still so much going on and there's still people are trying to process all the information still and so I think from this point onwards, as we move into the future, this is a signal of what the future is going to be like in terms of our lives, that we're just going to have to learn to live through the sifting of information and trying to be more savvy about it is just something we have to learn and something that I think not everyone gets to learn, which I think is also a little bit problematic. Yeah. Yeah, I think we do, we do, and I think this is a good point to kind of end on as well. I think we come from a privileged position to say that you should be internet savvy when you're just browsing and stuff because, yes, but also there are people in the world who don't even know what that would look like, and that's not their fault. Um, like what you were talking about, people in general, humans, haven't had to do this before. Like this is our generation's. Uh, the first who having to deal with this kind of surplus of information. So when there are millions of people out there who don't necessarily know how to sift through it, who who don't necessarily know that they need to sift through it, Mm. that's not their fault. That's just something that we have to work towards as humanity, which is, again, very confronting because it involves all of us coming together, which is always difficult. Um. (laughs) That sounds like a rather despondent to end on, but... uh... I, I, as, um, as maybe our viewers, uh, well, actually, no, none of our viewers would know this, but I, I try to be the optimist, and so I have belief in the capacity for humans to do that. Um, you heard my belief earlier about the ability of institutions to do their job well, so um, I do my best. <laughs> okay, well, fine. Humans will come, we will come together to be more internet savvy, I guess. <laughs> hey. Hey. Um, well, thank you so much, Ashra, for coming on. I hope you guys. Yeah, hope you guys. I hope you can come on again very soon. We, I had a really good time talking to you about this. Thank you. As did I. I enjoyed articulating my thoughts in a different context. So that's the episode, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We do want to make this a series because COVID has taught us a lot of things. So if there is something you'd like us to talk about, especially about COVID, please let us know so we can make it a part of this series. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and your favorite podcast listening app. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.